As entrepreneurs, we all want to build great businesses. That's what AES Nation is all about, is accelerating our success. And there's a key driver of our success is the people that we have around us. Having a great culture, the right people on the bus, as Jim Collins talks about. Well, I have a remarkable serial entrepreneur who's joining us today, and he's going to share with us some of his hard-learned lessons that have given him an unfair advantage as an entrepreneur. He's, he's based in Montreal, Canada. He has built many businesses, directly and indirectly. He's created over 1,000 jobs in Montreal. He's currently got a business with 145 employees. He is an amazing individual who's going to share some really great lessons. They're going to help you accelerate your success even more. Stay tuned. Ordinary success? No way. You want amazing, remarkable, exceptional breakthroughs. Dig deep. Think bold. Drive hard. Watch yourself soar beyond your dreams. AESNation.com. Daryl Hicks, I am so excited to have you here. It was so great. Uh, Jason Gennard introducing us at Mastermind Talks. We had dinner together at one of his Mastermind dinners. And uh, I think we sat next to each other and we you know, just went off. And uh, some unbelievable insights that you shared. And I wanted you to join us to share with the AES Nation, our, uh, our fellow entrepreneurs. So first of all, thank you for taking the time. Thank you very much for having me, John. Great to be here. You know, you, uh, there are uh, a lot of guests I have. I have a lot of consultants on, you know, top speakers and so on. Uh, you are truly a serial entrepreneur. You've been very active in the angel community, really in the technology side. You have been building businesses for a long time. And what I, I loved about what we were talking about dinner is, you know, just all the lessons learned. And I've been around doing a lot of things, but I, you know, I was taking notes there. They wouldn't let us, we had to put all our cell phones and electronics. That was part of Jason's <laughs> things. We couldn't, couldn't do it electronically, so I had to do handwritten and remember things after the fact. But Daryl- yeah, Jason's big on that. Yeah, no, what, what I'd love to do, Daryl, is before we go into kind of some of the lessons learned that our fellow entrepreneurs can go out and execute, what I'd love to do is have a little bit of your background. So, you know, how did you get to where you are today? So I started out probably about 20 years ago when I was in my early 20s doing uh, ITIS consulting. So we were installing proprietary uh, firewall technology for telcos up and down the Eastern seaboard. Um, and that was very much a business. It was had a lot of fun. I was very, always been passionate about technology. But I've always enjoyed working with people even more and I realized that really it was a business of trading hours for dollars. I wanted to get into some passive income um, and one of my clients had an e-commerce business that really piqued my curiosity and I pitched him on saying, hey, why don't we create a new business on the side and let's get into the e-commerce business together and I'll hire some developers, we'll build some technology to do the billing and I had some great banking relationships back then, still do and so we were able to facilitate all the merchant processing. and. Yeah, the rest is history. We started our first business on a $13,000 credit card, turned it into an eight-digit, very profitable business, which we later sold, and uh, have just been kind of continuing on that role for the last 14 years now. Yeah, it is amazing. Uh, the, the, 
most of us have pretty humble starts. There's a lot of credit cards involved, and it's not the yeah. processing part. It's you know, us using them. But you know, let me go to, I mean, what, what I enjoyed, uh, particularly at dinner, we, we were talking with we a number of other entrepreneurs, and we all got talking about culture. And you know, culture means different things. We always kind of question what that is and so on. And, and you got talking about how it gave you a competitive advantage. So I want to dive into this. And one of the things that you said, and you know, we've talked about is that one of the most important things to you is getting rid of the culture of vampires. And you know, I just thought, I mean, that, that's a term I hadn't heard before. And, you know, what are we talking about there, Daryl? Well, every business has culture vampires, if you're not careful. You picture a flower garden, you really, if you want to have a nice, healthy, vibrant flower garden, you got to tend to the weeds. And your A player employees that you bring in, I, I like to think of them as like, you know, these beautiful exotic fish that you put in your aquarium. If you have fish in there that are just making a great big mess of the water, what happens when you get this murky, cloudy water is that your exotic fish are getting sick, they're getting slow and sluggish, and they just want to get the heck out. Unfortunately, culture is only as strong as your weakest link. If you, you know, if I had a story of someone when I first started my current business, Tungsten, about four years ago, I'd very carefully selected the first eight to 10 employees I wanted to start with. And we had this one employee who was acting as a supervisor and it was very authoritarian, very strict. I mean, he was, he was getting results. But it was not in the way that we wanted to. We wanted a business that was much more about tapping into people's intrinsic motivators rather than imposing extrinsic penalties on them. And when we met with him and tried to do a little bit of coaching, he said, look, I'm putting up the numbers. I'm delivering the results. This is the way I'm going to do it. Let me do my job. He wasn't too surprised when we let him go a couple weeks later. We pulled a little company meeting out in the lobby and we said to everyone, we wanted everyone to understand it's a sensitive thing. You're only a few months into your new business and now you're firing someone. It's a little bit of a jittery thing for people, but we wanted to explain, look, we have values, we have goals, we know where we're going and what we stand for. And this is not the kind of atmosphere that we want to create in here because the, the weakest link in your business, it's, it tells everyone else what you stand for, what you'll tolerate as a leader. Uh, and you have to really think about what you want your identity to be. I mean, we all know that a company is nothing more than the people who are inside of it, right? So if you tolerate jerks and a-holes in your business, what kind of company do you have? A company that acts like jerks and a-holes. It's pretty obvious. You know, Dave Ramsey has got a great thing that he talks about on this where, you know, you're trying to build a company of thoroughbred horses. Every once in a while, you got to get the donkeys out, perform a donkeyectomy. <laughs> so I really, I really like that one. And the ironic thing that we've found is that if you get enough thoroughbreds in your company, the donkeys will often fire themselves. They don't feel like they fit. They're not comfortable. Um, and, and that's something that I, th I think has really helped us a lot is making sure that everyone understands clearly from the get-go what our values are and what we stand for. And if they break those values, you fire people based on breaking those values because your culture really is only as strong as your weakest link. And tolerating those people is gonna suck the energy out of your company. Well, and, and you know, Daryl, one of the things that, you know, as I look at this, I mean, this is something I'm a big believer in too. I have a, I've had as many as 400 employees in my current business. It's a virtual business or businesses, and I think it's even more important there. But it's important everywhere because, you know, it, all it does is take one. And as you were saying, you know, your experience. I mean, I was thinking of 
a few along the way, the various businesses I have, I could identify people and, you know, and some, unfortunately, I let stay longer than I should. And I'm sure our fellow entrepreneurs, as they're listening to us, I mean, you know, they're, they're thinking, you know, Joe, Warren, Sally, you know, there's somebody, and it, it creates so much disruption. But, you know, as you do this, I mean, there's a lot of energy that goes into building culture. And, you know, one of the things is you're, you know, a data-driven guy, and we're going to go into that a little bit more of how you use that. But, you know, are you seeing, you know, the increase in productivity, you know, forget all the fuzzy stuff about, you know, having a great life and all that, which we all care about. But, you know, that hard-driven guy that you let go was getting the results. You know, what happens? Uh, you know, are you getting that advantage when you go ahead and, you know, focus so much energy on culture? Absolutely. I really feel that we've learned some good lessons about why does culture matter? I mean, it started out because when I started my most recent business, I said, I want to build a business to build it up to be a billion dollar business. And I want to have fun walking into it every single day. I want to be surrounded with people that I enjoy working with because I know that that really impacts me. And I want to attract the type of people that it really impacts them as well. Having, you know, investing in the culture like this and creating an environment where everyone understands our values and are aligned with those values, you know, especially we're in software, right? We're, we're building technology, we're coding proprietary systems. Developers are in constant demand. I'm constantly fending off the headhunters that are coming and trying to poach my people with dreams and stories of better salaries and more benefits. But I can tell you actually twice now, I've lost senior developers to headhunters, happens to everybody, who have come back to me. One was six months later and the other one was a year later saying, you know what? I would work for you for less money because it's you, because I know what you stand for and because of the environment that you've been able to create and the people that you're attracting and success creates success, momentum creates momentum. And when you go down this page, it's kind of like what Seth Godin talks about in creating tribes. You, you shouldn't be shy to send a clear message out of what you stand for and who you're trying to attract because it repels the people that aren't a good fit for you anyway. And the people that that really resonates with, they're going to come and they're going to be drawn to that. So to say that all of a sudden I'm getting back key people that I had lost twice. I mean, my turnover ratio, when I talk to fellow entrepreneurs who are in the technology space, my turnover ratio is way, way lower than the average of them. I haven't lost any key people that I really cared about losing in over a year now. I don't know many technology companies that can really say that. And that's in my project management, account management, senior developers, uh, QA, anything from top to bottom. Yeah, I want to... With this, I mean, it, this is such a, we can all think about when we lose someone who's talented. I mean, it's great when we hire someone that's talented, but the pain of losing someone who's really talented is just, I mean, it's, it is awful. And it's not only awful in the effect, you know, we've got to find somebody to replace them, but it's just the whole morale of losing those key people. On the other hand, when they're working with us and they're building the culture and it's their company, they're enrolled in it, I mean, it changes dramatically. I have very low turnover for the same reason. And, you know, so, I mean, I invest a lot of time and energy in this too. So I'm really passionate. But 
you know, I'm in Silicon Valley, so I'm going to ask the tough question. You know, in Montreal, I mean, Silicon Valley, you know, we've got all these big names and they buy ping pong tables, cappuccino machines, and, you know, and a lot of them just stamp that and call it culture. Some do much better than that, so I don't want to be too hard. But what are you doing to build the culture? Because it's one thing to say, hey, let's have a great culture of really top people and we're going to go make a difference in the world. That's what every one of us wants as an entrepreneur. But how do we actually make it happen, Daryl? Yeah, I hear you. You know, it's a really, it's a really good question. We've got, we've learned some really good lessons, some great takeaways. And one of the things is that we've learned that we have to empower the team. You know, culture really does start with leadership, the CEO, the COO, you know, we're the enablers of culture. We empower it. It goes in the direction that we set for it, but we don't actually make it happen. So we've had a lot of success in appointing culture ambassadors. This is an idea that I poached from a really good friend of mine who's also in Mastermind Talks, uh, Jason Atkins from Incentives 360. He's just a phenomenal guy, 140 employees, fantastic culture in his company. And they, they run a campaign where there's an election that everybody has to vote and do video interviews that get posted out to the rest of the company about if I was voted as the culture ambassador, this is what I would do for company culture and all that stuff. And the interesting thing that happens is like, you know, we used to spend a lot of money on like free lunches and free Red Bull and free coffee. That stuff all costs money, but when the culture ambassadors come in, they actually look at that stuff and they say, you know what, we could get way better bang for our buck if we spent it on this or that. So they take the initiative and they go out and they create a dialogue and survey monkey surveys with the employees and they say, what do you want? What do you really care about? Would you be willing to give up the free Red Bulls if we did this instead? So taking culture and actually putting it as a line item on the P&L, giving it a budget, a set budget to this group of people that are very passionate about it, you, know, you turn it into a big celebration. They win the election and it's a big celebration. And by the way, these people aren't paid extra. They're doing it as a labor of love because they really care about it. And then they're responsible for going and making sure that, again, according to the vision and the values and the, and the purpose and you know our big audacious goals like Google talks about that we're creating, they go and they make it happen. And they're having the conversations and they become the glue, like the water in that aquarium that is fresh and clean and oxygenated and keeping everyone performing at a high level. You can't say enough about the importance of empowering people, asking people like, you know, what are your values? Even in an anonymous survey that you send out and ask everyone, what are your values? What is most important to you as a person? Sometimes it's shocking what comes back to you as feedback and that helps you to really sort of tailor what it is that you're going to do with the ambassadors and, and pushing the culture out. But that's been absolutely huge for us, empowering the individuals to go and make the, the leadership's vision happen. I love this, Daryl, because you know, really one of the things is being a CEO, you, you, you've led many organizations, I have too, and you, know, you want to inspire your team. You, 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 you really want to make a difference, but you can't do everything. And one of the things is you got to stop. All of us have to stop trying to do everything because we've got talent all over the place. And I love the idea. I haven't heard that before, you know, having the culture ambassadors because you know, what we all care about in today's world, we're all spending a lot of time at work. And we're made, you know, we, we all want, I mean, you don't have to be a CEO. You don't have to be an EVP. You know, everybody wants to make an impact. They want to have a great environment to work and make a difference in the world. And you can harness those people who are most passionate, who are able to articulate it. And boy, I mean, that's, you know, that really sounds like that's coming together uh, very well. So no, that's a, 
you know, if, if somebody were going to start that, what would be the starting point to, you know, reach out to their team and, you know, have, you know, the, somebody raise their hand to be that cultural ambassador? Well, we're big uh, fans of uh, corporate social media, replacing email with corporate social media. So for us, it started out as a post that we made in the water cooler section of our corporate social media. And the buzz started right away. And we said, hey, here's the, what we're going to do. These are the, this is the vision of the business. It's all clearly articulated and it's spelled out. These are, these are our values. This is what we really care about. And we want culture ambassadors. If you think you've got something to say, uh, what you would do if you were in charge of culture, what you would do, we want to hear your story. Record a little video on your iPhone or your computer, whatever, upload it to this water cooler and start campaigning. And then we started a voting process. Again, for us, because we're a technology company, we did the voting process in our corporate social media where people could go and vote on candidates and they're out there lobbying and campaigning with their peers. It's, it turns into a lot of fun. And again, you know, you make it a really celebratory moment for the people who win. Uh, you know, some of the other uh, companies, my peers, people that I talk to, they've done things like flying the culture ambassadors down to a Zappos boot camp on culture or flying in some consultants who talk a lot about culture and letting them take two days off to really just sort of immerse themselves in that world. But it doesn't have to be that high tech. It can actually be very low tech, you know, set up a whiteboard with some columns on it and let people go in and vote for who they want to vote or set up an anonymous survey monkey. There's lots of ways to go and do it. And by the way, John, I find that this is just as important with the clients that you decide to work with outside the company as it is inside the company. What I mean by that is that we go through a process not just of getting the donkeys out internally. We also fire clients that we believe don't align well with our core vision. And it's really hard, especially when you're a startup, to let go of revenue like that. But I got the idea from Seth Godin. He talked at a conference. I had the, the privilege of meeting him in New York uh, a while back. And he told me a story about a client. It was one of the largest sources of revenue that he had in his bookbinding company uh, for book marketing and publishing books. But they were so litigious. There was constantly a threat of the axe and the guillotine hanging right. over their head. And it started to impact the culture of his business. They, all of his employees, the way they started to behave, it started to affect the way they treated other clients. Everything was about covering their own butts all the time. He took a really tough decision to give away a massive chunk of his revenue, taught them everything they needed to know to go and replicate what he had. But he said that was the point when he fired that client that was like a culture vampire from the outside their business shot up and within two years they were at 400% revenues of where they were before they had fired that client. He said it was one of the single most impactful things that happened. So this idea of culture, obviously it starts and it's most important inside, creating the unified team that's working together, but you can't overlook the impact of who you choose to work with outside. Yeah, we do a lot of research on this uh, and releasing inappropriate clients is one of those big upward uh, ticks and and it's not only you know while well, we lose the revenue and all of us work so hard to get top line revenue but what we 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 don't realize if it's particularly if it's affecting the senior leadership oftentimes it's really affecting the teammates and it is just uh can be unbelievably disruptive as seth was saying there let me i you know, i'm not going to let you off daryl on that you're too good a you know, you're, we're talking about a soft subject, and I don't think of you as a soft, fuzzy guy at all, but this is the reason why we're talking about it is we both love results, and you're getting results. But I also want to go to another way that you're getting results, which is 
you know, data. I mean, in today's world, I mean, your business is just, you know, all about data and you help fellow entrepreneurs, you know, using it effectively. I know over the last year, I mean, the explosion of data, I track every little thing. I have so much data and it's hard turning that data into knowledge and wisdom and actionable. How would you recommend to your fellow entrepreneurs to use data effectively to make smart decisions? Well, it really starts with measuring like crazy. And it's easier now than it ever was. When we first started measuring, we had to do it the hard way. We had our own sort of silo of information. And, you know, the challenge is a lot of e-commerce marketers, they're starting with a very small piece of business. And it's very hard to optimize a trickle, but it's very easy to optimize a flow. And for us, what we found is a book of business needed to be at about a thousand customers that you're billing on a recurring basis before you can get in there and start to optimize it with our tools. But that's it's starting to change. That's no longer the case. You can now do these data appends. There's a lot of different databases depending on the verticals that you're in. If you're in, in a direct response, you can be going out to Targus and Amerabase. If you're doing direct marketing in the mail, you can be working with Abacus and iBehavior. In fact, we have one direct marketing entrepreneur that we're an e-commerce company that we're working with. They actually got their response ratios on their direct mail marketing pieces to increase by 250% over six months by working with companies like Abacus and iBehavior to send them all the data on the people that are responding and have those companies come back and say, this is what we know about the customers that are resonating, that your product is resonating with and you should be targeting more of these kinds of companies. If you're in the- well, I'm gonna interrupt just for a second. Sure. We've done that and we've had over 500% increase. So- There you go. I mean, this Great is, I, I just wanna, I want everybody to be paying attention to this because this was something that I wish I had known earlier you know it's it's one thing to collect the data and make it useful but when we talk about appending we're reaching out to you know some other group that has information about those individuals and for i mean you know, daryl my experience is for really nominal cost i mean it's not you know this huge expense we can accomplish a lot but you know, i interrupted but i just wanted to you know boy if there's ever a time to pay attention to this because I see so many people collecting data, including myself, that we're kind of all wondering, okay, how can we use it more effectively? Well, yeah, this is the answer. I'm really happy that you jumped in with that. That's great validation. Um, we've also seen a lot of our online marketing companies have great success, similar results to what you're talking about, John, with uh, LiveRamp and Newstar and Ustar. Um, if you're doing a lot of work on Facebook, you can get great profiling and segmenting from Accelate. So there's all these companies out there that can feed you in extra data, um, but really it's just about do you care enough to pay attention? Do you want to go through that build, measure, learn feedback loop and iterate on what you're doing based on that data? And that's, I think, the even more important thing. The data is available. What are you going to do with it? Are you running on systems and do you have a culture in your business that celebrates testing iterating on things, taking this knowledge and actually putting it to good use, learning, and and, you, and it becomes a momentum thing. Like momentum builds momentum, success builds success, and you really start to flow down that way. We've had some really fantastic results from just focusing on testing, and that's really why we ended up building a lot of our own proprietary systems in-house is because as we were learning things, like for example, I know more about you as a customer. I can go out to all these third parties that I recommended, but still for us, the single most powerful indicator that we have in the e-commerce business about what kind of customer you're going to be is the first six digits of your credit card. 
I know if your credit card starts with 5332355, that that means that I want to throw the kitchen sink at you. It's upsell, cross-sell, downsell. I want to take my most expensive ways of engaging with you by phone or anything else because you are a golden customer. But if you have another six digits in your pocket, a number that I won't mention, um, I know that I need to treat you with kid gloves, put you in a completely different tailored funnel on the back end for customer service to make sure that we're not in, ending up with chargebacks or maybe I'm just going to sell you different products that are at a lower price point. I might have lower margins, but I know it's going to be better tailored to your needs. The first six digits of the credit card is called the bank identification number. And customers that have a Bank of America credit, uh, platinum credit card uh, behave very, very differently from someone who says, say, has an HSBC Nevada debit card or a JP Morgan Chase Visa debit card. And again, we had the luxury of being able to pull trends like that because of we had millions and millions of records of e-commerce clients that we were able to pull together. But there are third parties out there that are starting to pull together that data. And even if you have a very small amount of customers in your own business, you can get a huge lift by going out to those third parties and say, I don't have enough data to learn this myself. Teach me what I can learn based on these customers, score them for me, pay this nominal cost, sometimes it's pennies per record, and then use that. That's the key. Use it to actually go tailor your marketing efforts so that you're offering the best and most lucrative and high margin products to the right people and not to the other yeah, ones. Yeah, and, and let me go, let's dive a little further into this, Daryl, because this is, to me, this was a big lesson over the last few years that I've learned this whole concept of lead scoring where, you know, both with your own data as well as appending the data, the ability to really judge kind of the, the qualifications, you know, I'm going to go to matrix. I, I don't know what you do, but it, what we do is we're looking, okay, what is their qualification? We're, we have the ability through outside data to be able to tell and profile them. So we know roughly their income, their your patterns for the type of businesses we're doing. And the second thing we look at is we're looking at level of engagement. You know, how are they interacting with our businesses? And the ability to segment that and have campaigns, I mean, I gotta say it's changed our lives here. Uh, and, and I feel like we're just getting started on it, but you know, maybe kind of talk about how you see other entrepreneurs doing this and doing it well, because you know, I didn't know what lead scoring was a few years ago. I mean, Targus is one of the groups that, you know, I mean, I, I looked at how they could profile you know, for next to nothing 50, uh, different profiles for financial services. They would identify individuals, one, whether you're flying around in private jets or the other, whether you're you know, on the verge of filing bankruptcy and everything in between. And you know, think of, you know, for all of us as entrepreneurs, how valuable is that to know immediately? Oh, you know, I mean, it's huge. We've got case study after case study that we've been putting together. I have a division of my business where um, it's, it's, it's just a fun sort of side business. It's much more quality over quantity, but we act as a third party administrator running the back office for some e-commerce partners that we handpick and select where we want to really help them out. And we do all this kind of modeling for them on the back end. We've seen significant lifts in top line revenue per customer, per thousand customers. Uh, gross margin has been increasing, which by the way, a kind of a rule of thumb, if any anyone listening has an e-commerce business, there's a lot of great content uh, that's been published on HubSpot about this, but a good rule of thumb is that your e-commerce business needs to be running at a minimum 70% gross margin. 
And then if it's not, you really need to get in there and do some optimization because you're not going to be able to spend the money that you need on your acquisition. But you get so much more bang for your buck once you've done that on your acquisition by doing this lead scoring, by understanding. And then what do you do once you have that data, right? So there's a few things that we do. We take the top 15%. Once we've scored all of our customers, we look at, you know, right now I think it's about 13 different data elements and a lot of them are the same ones that you talked about. So first six digits of the credit card, area code and zip code, how many times have they logged into the website, how many times have they been, uh, have they um, been visiting our website before actually signing up, tracking all of that information. How are you going to know if you're not tracking it, right? So it starts with tracking all that information, profiling these people based on your internal data. Then once you've got that, we turn it, we flatten that data out, we turn it into a score, one to 10. And we take the top 15% highest profitability, lowest risk customers, and we put them into an outbound dialing campaign where we try to get them on the phone and we talk to them, we thank them for being our members. And that's where we go into the upsells, cross-sell, downsells. We make sure that what we're offering them is relevant. Again, you go out to these third parties, you learn about who they are. Someone who's flying a private jet, someone who has a pet pet is a cat. I mean, the amount of data that you can get on people now is crazy. And so then, you know, while well, we've got really great pet insurance, we've got this pet club, you know what, we're going to give this to you for free, just as a special thank you for being with us. You got a customer for life after that. And the bottom 15% most risky customers, we also do outbound campaigns on them, but it's about holding their hand, doing fraud scrubbing, making sure that we've got the right customer on the books. In e-commerce, we struggle a lot with chargebacks. So being able to mitigate that risk We've significantly reduced chargebacks. Um, I mean, I can give you exact numbers of some of the case studies if you're interested in what we do, but there are massive impacts that we've been able to have in increasing revenues and lowering the risks. Well, and this is, you know, we're all, we're all in commerce. Whether you're in e-commerce, you're in commerce, and all these things apply. So, I mean, this is really powerful, Daryl. Let me, I'm going to switch uh, to another segment, and this is the book of the You are a lifelong learner. That's why we're hanging out together at Mastermind Talks. You're out there making a big difference. What what would you recommend to your fellow entrepreneurs that they should be reading? You know, it's a book that I wish that I would have read a lot earlier in my career. I had an e-commerce product that I got really passionate about. I invested seven digits into it and it completely flopped and failed. Um, I haven't completely given up on it. We just recently resurrected it using the principles from this book, The Lean Startup by Eric Ries. And if you're interested in getting a startup and really making sure that you avoid the kind of waste that I went through in that particular product, I can't tell you already early on we're seeing so much greater ROI by applying the principles that we learned in that book for how you want to get a product out there, especially something that's direct to consumer facing. But the principles work just as well in B2B and for nonprofits. I can't say enough good things about what we've learned from that book. No, it, it is a great book. Let me go to the next segment. And on your smartphone, what would you be recommending to your fellow entrepreneurs? I love uh, PipeDrive. I had such a horrible time organizing all of my biz dev and you know, we're all out there and we're forming great relationships with people. Uh, I dump stuff in Trello and then once it's in Trello in my task list, now what do I do with it you know, for, what, for actioning? PipeDrive has been transformational for me. Uh, the desktop app is great, but having it all synced right there as a smartphone app, the dashboards, I feel like nothing slips between the cracks anymore. I'm not losing track of people. 
Um, it, it's it's really been a life changer for yeah, me. I, I'm not familiar with that one, so I'm going to take a look at that. And let's go to the next segment, which is resources. You know, we've been talking about a lot about you know, what you're doing. Uh, t- tell me a little bit about your business, and I'm going to put up on the screen your uh, corporate website. Right. So Tungsten Revenue has a couple of divisions. One is the e-commerce division where we act as a third-party administrator and we run the back office on a profit share. It's never a revenue share like a lot of TPAs do, third-party administrators. We actually always do ours on a profit share because I find it aligns our interests much better. The more profit you make, the more profit we make. We're in this together. And the second division is the SaaS division where all the technology and tools that we leverage in our own e-commerce efforts as well as in our third-party administration, we're really taking them and spiking them out and we're making a big play right now. We've formed a new joint venture relationship with a Fortune 300 financial institution to do something that's never been done before, opening up bank accounts electronically in real time in all 50 states and leveraging that to completely automate and turn a very paper process in the payment of insurance premium, especially major medical health care, and turning that into a completely electronic process end to end between the payroll, the insurance carriers, the employers and the employees. I'm really excited about that. And then obviously applying our data-driven skills and all of our analytics into optimizing that business. So we got the technology and we've got the uh, e-com division. And, and Daryl, how would they reach out to you if they wanted, if somebody was interested in that service to explore that further? Well, the contact us page on Tungsten Rev actually comes to my personal inbox. Uh, I don't screen it. I like to receive those contacts myself. You can also go to my About Me page. Um, you can find that on Google just by Googling for Daryl Hicks with two R's and a Y-L. Um, and you can see some of the videos and talks I'm giving. I'll obviously, a link to this wonderful podcast will be on there uh, and a few things like that. But it's pretty easy to find me or you know just email me at uh, dhicks. Hicks at tungstenrev.com. Daryl, this is great. Let me go to the last segment here. And this is all about so how we can accelerate. Now, I've got a whole bunch of notes. And I mean, this is this has been one that you definitely should go, you know, the aesnation.com, get the show notes, download the transcription. We'll have all the links to everything we talked about because there were a lot of great ideas there. But number one, you know, Daryl talked about the power of culture. And one of the first things is get rid of the culture of vampires. And that's critical. I mean, it's so freeing. And he talked about it not only as employees or contractors, but also as clients. You know, inappropriate people are inappropriate no matter what function they are with you. They will make a huge difference. Make sure that you really do care about the culture and don't take it all on your own you know make the you know let enroll your team and let them run with it you know find the ambassador i just love that idea and i will be daryl i will be putting that into action i mean this is you know one of the reasons i'm going over the key takeaways is so that all of us you know these these podcasts, these time together, I mean, you know, it's great to have Daryl and I talking to each other, sharing. I mean, we would do it. We've done it over dinner. You know, this could be, uh, we're doing it in the morning, so a cup of coffee here. But what, what it is, is, you know, sharing it with 10,000 of our fellow entrepreneurs. We want you to take action so you can have the success you want. Also, what I really love is, you know, we, we talked about the culture side, but the data side, and this is where if you are not using data, 
you know, as a full advantage, and probably none of us are using it to full advantage, but how can we go ahead and make better decisions? I love that in our group, we no longer debate whether, well, you should do this or you should do that. Everything's split tested and you know, the, the, the marketplace tells us. As there's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur, to be segmenting our data, being very focused on who our ideal clients are, really delivering a great experience and using a different segmentation services, the appending services that Daryl talked about. I mean, Daryl, this has been phenomenal. Uh, I want to thank you. I want to encourage everyone out there to take what Daryl shared with us and go out and execute. Your clients, your future clients, those strategic partners, all your teammates, your partners, your shareholders, they're counting on you. Don't let them down. We wish you the best of success. Exceptional, remarkable breakthroughs. AESNation.com.